you run into this problem, this is where you input it. Here's kind of the chain of command who you can go ask. At least that foundation is there. But all of that can get thrown out the window the minute you hit the shop floor. Welcome to Manufacturing Happy Hour, the podcast where we get real about the latest trends and technologies impacting modern manufacturers. Manufacturing Happy Hour. Each week, we interview industry experts that are at the top of their craft and give you the tools, tactics and strategies you need to take your career and your business to the next level. And now your host, Chris Lukey. Hey, what's up, folks? Welcome to episode 51 of Manufacturing Happy Hour. We're uh, we're kind of in the middle of what's accidentally turned into a little robotics mini-series. We're going to be talking robots again today, but we're also going to be diving into automotive manufacturing as well as operations and startups. Our guest today is Sheena Patterson, the VP of Operations at Path Robotics in Columbus, Ohio. And really, in this episode, we're going to be going over her story, along with some solid takeaways and great applications along the way. So the first thing you can expect from this episode is we're going to learn about Sheena's career, the early days when she was at spots like Ford and Tesla. We're even going to hear a little bit about Elon Musk. Second, Sheena's going to share some of her lessons learned from working in automotive manufacturing as well as scaling at Path Robotics. And finally, we're going to talk about drive capital and venture capital investment and startups in the Midwest. If you want to access any of the resources we discuss in this episode, you can head over to the show notes page at manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 51. And if you are enjoying these episodes, I'd highly encourage you to think about joining our industry community, which lives on LinkedIn. It's a group of a bunch of forward-thinking manufacturing leaders. We meet every month for Zoom conversations and hopefully soon some in-person events. But if you want to get involved in that conversation and connect with other manufacturing leaders that can help you take your career to the next level, head to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash community to join us today. And with that, let's get into today's episode. Actually, there was something pretty special going on for Sheena that day. So let's jump into the intro and our conversation. Sheena, the first thing I have to ask is you just moved back to Columbus, Ohio, and this is a first on the show. It's your birthday today. So first of all, happy birthday. Thank you. It's Thank uh, you. Jumping on a podcast is uh, is certainly <laughs> one way to celebrate a birthday, yeah. <laughs> but uh, being back in Columbus, assuming that you're going to celebrate later on, I always have to ask, if we were doing this interview in person like we did pre-pandemic, where would we be grabbing a drink to have this conversation? Oh, so, um, yeah, so I think a new thing that I've learned coming back to Columbus is uh, the distillery scene that's coming up. So I actually got to celebrate this past weekend. We went down to Kentucky to do some bourbon trail, but I got to uh, go see Watershed a few weekends ago and going out there and trying some of their bourbon. And um, it's a cool new scene and it's something completely new to me in Columbus, but that's that's where I want to go. Yeah. Really? How many, just if you don't mind me asking, is it like multiple distilleries that am I hearing that right, that they're cropping up? There's, I've heard like five pretty big ones. I mean, they're still craft distilleries, but they're, I mean, they're producing and kind of out and about, you can find them in liquor stores around town um, that are pretty decent sized. So I, like I said, I was surprised by it myself. <laughs> 
yeah um, being so close to kentucky but um it seems to be coming up um, hmm. pretty cool did not know that about columbus i i actually got involved in columbus back in the day uh from a drinking standpoint as well when i was working with anheuser bush i was in and out of out of that town quite a bit in like the late uh early 2000s, 2007, 2008, but uh, great town. Um, I, as a Midwesterner myself, I'm, I'm always excited about the Midwest, which is kind of my first question for you. So let's say we're kicking it at one of those distilleries. We're having some bourbon and someone comes up to us and they're like, you know, Sheena, I know you just came back from Silicon Valley to the Midwest. You know, why is the Midwest startup scene so great? What's special about it? What do you love about it? How do you answer that if you're uh, sipping on some bourbon with someone? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think the the really cool thing about the Midwest startup scene is it's honestly the people, right? I, I think the vibe that you get off, right? So it's the nice thing about startups in general is the passion that uh, individuals have when they're joining those companies, right? You you put in the hours because you really believe in the mission, you believe in the work, and you want to be with a group of people that care about those things as well. Um, so I think that's a really great thing, but how it differs in the Midwest is you have individuals who are still very family oriented, right? They still understand what it means to need to go home <laughs> at, at the end of it, um, and want to make sure that's still like a big part of your, I mean, it's your life. Uh, so I think that's, what's really nice about it is that like coming back here, everybody's super engaged. We really love what we do. Um, but there's never any, like, nobody's ever looking like, oh, that person's leaving early. Like, what are they doing? It's not picking up their kids, right? Like yeah. that's what they're doing. Um, so, and if you, if you want to work late or if you are working later the weekends, it's because you want to, not because you feel that pressure of having to be there. So I think it's just, it's not a rat race, but you still find super passionate people with really great ideas, um, who, who want to be involved, but don't feel the need to you know, flock to a coast to do so. Yeah. It's, it's been, it's been cool seeing it pop up. Love the reasons there from passion to people from, you know, work-life balance for lack of a better word, work-life yeah. integration as a lot of uh, folks call it now. Um, and you're certainly one of the most uniquely qualified people to talk about it because you've seen it from the coast and from the Midwest. So before we get too far, I want to make sure I give you a proper introduction to our audience. So for those of you out there today that are listening, our guest has been zooming through an incredible career in manufacturing that's taken her from the Midwest, Silicon Valley, and back in less than a decade. Having led as an engineer with companies like Ford, Tesla, and Zooks, she's now the Vice President of Operations at Path Robotics, a company that's leading the way in automated welding robots. I'm pleased to welcome Sheena Patterson to the show. It's great to have you here today. Yeah, thanks, Chris. Appreciate it. So with, with that introduction, um, I mean, no joke, you've done a lot in seemingly like a decade long period so far. And it's cool to see uh, the activity, the companies you've been with, and I kind of ex want to explore your career and some of the lessons you've learned along the way today, because I'm sure there are going to be some great takeaways for the manufacturing leaders that listen to the show. So, you know, let's kind of go back to the start. You know, you started your career from what I saw with, let's say, traditional automotive companies like mm -hmm. Nissan and Ford, you know, when you were coming up, when you were going through school, when you were starting your career, did you know that's what you wanted to do? No, uh, when I, yeah, I think when I was leaving school, um, I had obviously interned with Nissan. I was on, I was on the design side of things. Um, and 
I liked automotive, but to be honest, like I actually kind of thought I would maybe take my mechanical degree and be able to go into aerospace. I had this, you know, passion for NASA. Um, and I really want like I was getting my pilot's license. I had all of these like this intent to go um, and get into that industry. And when I had the opportunity, when I was leaving school, I had the opportunity to join Ford's um, college graduate program. So it's a rotational program, allows individuals right to go through manufacturing rotations, as well as see some design, do some pre-launch activities. Um, and I think that's really what appealed to me was like, I didn't necessarily know, okay, this is exactly what I want to do. I had certain interests, but I didn't know if it was design, manufacturing, like completely outside of that. Um, so that's really what pulled me into Ford. Um, initially, it was just the options still. Uh, so that was like a huge part of it. And then I think once I got embedded into Ford, my, you know, my first rotation was as a, uh, I'm supposed to be a, like a water test engineer or, you know, the individual helping the water test engineers mm -hmm. on the transit program in, uh, in Kansas city. So, uh, you know, the transit is a vehicle built in Kochali, Turkey, and that was our sister plant. And they were bringing it over to the U S uh, to kind of compete with the sprinter. Um, so that was kind of where I started out. I was getting shipped off to Kansas city, Missouri. Wasn't really sure what I thought of moving to Missouri after being in Ohio and Michigan for a while. Um, and what was cool about it is I landed there, I went to my supervisor and said, okay, I have been doing a month of research on what water test engineers do, what the types of leaks we find are, our different root causes. And he's like, great. So throw that out the window. We have, uh, our lead interior engineer, uh, leaving in six weeks. And he's been with the program for four years. You have six weeks to get like a brain dump from him and then you're it. Um, and honestly, that's the reason that I've stuck with manufacturing. <laughs> I think that if I had any, uh, other start or any other kind of launch experience, um, I probably would have not been so just kind of embroiled in the, <laughs> in the chaos that, uh, that can happen with, with those kind of programs. So cool. yeah, I definitely didn't, didn't know that that's where I was going, but got, um, got into it quick, which was I, really nice. I, yeah, I was going to say, so thrown into the fire pretty quickly, for lack yeah. of a better word, of a, a pretty rapid increase in responsibility. And I, I'd be interested to know, because you're after Ford, you went to, you know, what I'd call some of the new age car manufacturers. Sure. You were at yep. Zooks, you were at Tesla. Um, I'm curious, you know, because I think we all have a vision of, you know, the old school automotive manufacturers have their systems and processes and, and their way of doing things. And, you know, Tesla's flying by the, the seat of their pants a, a bit more. Can you take us behind the scenes, though? Is that the reality or are things still pretty crazy, you know, at a Ford plant? Yeah, I mean, I think um, things are pretty crazy still, even when you it, it depends on the launch that you get into. And I think that's where I really benefited from it is there are absolutely processes and procedures. Like, hey, if you run into this problem, this is where you input it. Here's kind of the chain of command who you can go ask. At least that foundation is there. Um, but all of that can get thrown out the window the minute you hit the shop floor, right? And I think um, the big reason for that is it's again, people. And I think that's what individuals miss when they think about manufacturing and they think about automation is you think we're just working with equipment and so like you're just landing a robot cell you program it and then you get to walk away um i think people yeah miss out on the fact that it is so much 
of relationships and people management and expectation management um, that goes on. So, and that's going to differ at every single launch you're on with every single group of individuals that you work with. So yeah, the chaos still exists at places like Ford and um, the transit launch was definitely kind of like that because we were working on an international program. Um, And then when I rolled into F-150, kind of same thing because it's all aluminum, you're launching in Detroit, the same time you're launching in Kansas City. So there's always going to be kind of those slight things that nobody expected, <laughs> uh, even when you're at like a traditional auto, uh, auto manufacturer like that. Yeah, you, you've talked about the human element a couple times in our conversation so far, and, and I'm excited. I think we're going to dive into that as we get more into the path robotics part of the, the conversation in the latter part of the discussion. But, you know, after after Ford, I think you went to Tesla. That was mm-hmm. your next move. Tell me what that was like, because that's not only a cultural change, that's a geographic change as well. Yeah. Um, so I was lucky that uh, after I graduated from college, actually, my folks had moved out west. So I had reasons to be going out west. And now that I'm back in Columbus, they're back in Columbus. too. <laughs> but um, I was out visiting them kind of at, at the tail end of the F-150 launch, um, realizing that Ford didn't really have like another launch for me to go to. Um, and so I was, yeah, like I said, kind of out and about, I met some individuals who were working at Tesla, kind of asked them what the culture was like, that I had heard there's some chaos that I followed, you know, the Model S launch, um, when I was still in school and they said, yeah, it's basically like constant launch. Even when we're not launching, we're still launching. And I was like, that's great. I've just done two and a half years of launch. I loved it. That's what I want to do. Um, and so I think from a culture and mentality perspective, it's what I wanted and like the big reason that I made the move. Um, and yet from a geographic standpoint, um, definitely different, obviously in Kansas City. Uh, my husband, who's my fiance at the time, the two of us kind of just like uprooted and left and you land us um, in the middle of you know what that housing market was becoming. We were trying to figure out like, okay, where do you live that is like, he was working at Apple at the time and I was working at Tesla. And we're like, where do we live? Everything's like an hour away from everything else. Um, so it was definitely a big shift, but uh, I honestly, it was what I really wanted to just kind of keep that momentum going. Um, and Tesla did not disappoint in, in that momentum uh, continuation, which is, yeah, it was a good experience. I'd be interested to know what was your number one takeaway from working in traditional automotive that served you well at Tesla? Then I have a a follow-up after that. Sure. Um, The big takeaway, yeah, you mentioned that. I I do keep mentioning people because I think that that's really been just a huge part of it. So Tesla is obviously not a union shop. Uh, They will really not ever work with unions. from an operator standpoint. Um, and that was a huge thing is like learning how to work with the operators um, because at Ford it was unions. So like how you interact with them and kind of what you need to teach them and that there is a foundation you need to lay to get buy-in. Um, I think that that served me really well at Tesla because you can absolutely walk in and be like, hey, we all like work for the same company you know, you don't have a different chain of management to run up to than I do. So like, you kind of have to do what I say if I'm the manufacturing engineer. Um, But that doesn't go over well for people, right? So I think that uh, the big thing is just saying like, 
you know, there's a lot of backup that I could be doing as an engineer to sh- get their buy-in and show them that like I'm doing something for their benefit uh, and for the company's benefit. And that obviously goes over a lot better, but it just makes my experience and their experience with the company um, a lot better as well. And then follow up to that, what's something that you learned while at Tesla that you might not have learned anywhere else? Um, that passionate people will get anything done. <laughs> mm. I, I think that um, at Tesla, again, right, like we were all there for the mission. That's like the one mission that no matter who you say it to, where you say it, right? to accelerate um, the world's transition to sustainable energy, people will know that you're talking about Tesla and people still get excited about that mission every single day, right? It's not necessarily like working for Elon or working on this car. Um, You really do believe in it. And you'll put that aside for 16 to 20 hour days, seven days a week, right? Like it doesn't matter because you actually love the work. Um, And I think that that mentality um, it's something that bigger automotive manufacturers are trying to get to now, right? They're trying to re-excite their employees and their audiences with that, but it's something that Tesla does well. Um, and they've done it well from the start. I love that. Passionate people will get anything done. I feel like uh, the folks listening to the show will be pulling that one away from this episode. I'd be remiss if I didn't ask this because I heard when I was talking to one of your colleagues before the interview that you got to interact with, with Elon on occasions as well. What was it like working with Elon Musk? I can't do a manufacturing podcast and not ask what that experience was like. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think um, what, what everybody sees is pretty much what you get, um, which is not, I think what you could say about any leader, but he is, I mean, he's that driving force behind passionate people. Right. So um, then when you're in anywhere from all hands, like company all hands with him, um, to being on the floor, he asks very specific questions, right? He doesn't just want the generic, like, oh yeah, my cell's doing well. Um, he wants to understand what changed from yesterday to today, uh, where like you as an engineer might be seeing your issues, right? He really delves into it. And, um, I think that's where a lot of great ideas from individuals come from, right? Like he's not always coming up with them on his own, but he's leading you and asking questions in a way that make you think about uh, the problem differently. And I think that's what's been really interesting about working with him and for him um, was was that yeah, if I came from Ford and said, "Here's my traditional equipment, I'm going to go to these many like you know these um, integrators, I'm going to get it, I'm going to get on the line." Um, sure, it would work. Would it work necessarily for Tesla? Maybe not. Um, but how he breaks the problem down and makes you break the problem down is really is different. <laughs> well, I love the behind the scenes look at some of the the biggest companies in in the auto space. And we're going to take it back to the Midwest soon. But you had a couple other experiences out there in California before you came home. You know, I think. Zooks might have been next in your journey. And if I look at Zooks and Tesla, you know, especially at the leadership level, I just, I don't know if she was there when you were there, but Aisha Evans, um, CEO, I just heard her speak for the first time recently and talk about a completely different person from Elon. Um, I'd be curious to know, what was it like going, you know, to, uh, what does the impact of leadership have on a company like that when, when you make a switch from, let's say, Tesla to Zooks? Or what was the experience like in general? 
Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of so it's it's like the Tesla Alumni Club, right? Like we we usually go around to uh, places like Zooks or Rivian is another big one that I have a lot of friends at. Um, but yeah, that mentality shift, it's those leaders. I think what's really interesting about Aisha in particular, um, and and even RJ at Rivian is he knows where his people they know where they their people have come from, right? And what they've seen. So they know that they have good bones already, right? Like they're they're getting passionate people who have had these experiences. And it's about like molding them in a way that makes like the culture um, work for, for what you want out of the company. So I think Zooks, again, still passionate people, completely different kind of product, right? Because you're not just selling out to customers, you're um, it is a fleet management model. So it, it's very similar to path in that, like in my mind, in that respect. So what you care about and how it interacts with your end user is very different. Um, and so I think that, yeah, she does that well. She's, uh, I, I did get to meet her um, in, in my kind of short time there. And I think that's, yeah, that's what she does well. She's just like, I know that I have this great group that wants to make an impact know that the product is also very different than what the market's seen. Um, it's like, so how do I meld those things in a way to move forward? So I think she and Jesse do that really well at Zooks. Awesome. We'll be right back, right after a word from our sponsor. Are you searching for an e-commerce platform tailored to your industrial operation? Well, look no further than our sponsor for today's episode, Gen Alpha. Gen Alpha equips manufacturers, distributors, and dealers with the products and services they need to accelerate profits online. Now, I've been lucky enough to really get to know the folks over at Gen Alpha for the past few months, and what I love about them is that their entire leadership team comes from our industry. Not only do they know e-commerce, but they understand the challenges that manufacturing companies face when ordering parts online. If implementing an e-commerce platform is new territory for you or you feel like you could be doing it better, Gen Alpha offers an e-commerce readiness assessment to help OEMs identify their areas of strength and weakness in order to prioritize the activities required for a successful e-commerce launch. To learn more about Gen Alpha, make sure to head to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash Gen Alpha to listen to our interview with their president and COO, Christina Harrington. There, you can also find a direct link to their e-commerce readiness assessment, or you can check them out on the web at genalpha.com. In summary, if you're an equipment manufacturer, distributor, and your customers struggle to identify the right parts for the job, Gen Alpha can help. And now, back to today's episode. Well, as as you're finishing your time at Zooks and your time at Silicon Valley in general, you know, when we were talking yesterday, you were you were telling me, um, you know, you were looking to go back to the Midwest and you got engaged with Drive Capital, which um, I'll, I'll let you speak to them more than me because I, I kind of know the high level. But one of the more notable venture capital firms here in uh, the U.S. or in the Midwest, focus on like Midwestern startups. Mm-hmm. Um, can you tell us the story of how you rather quickly found yourself getting back to the Midwest and to Path Robotics and how that came about? Yeah, so um, it was, I guess, like kind of mid-pandemic right? or while the pandemic was starting and fires were raging and I was working out of my garage. 
Um, and my husband and I have always kind of thought we would get back to the Midwest and um, there's nothing like having orange out your window to really spur that. <laughs> I remember uh, that day. I remember that day very yeah. well. For I, I, Paint that picture a little bit too, because I don't know if any everyone here knows that orange day in uh, the Bay Area that we're talking about. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, fires have obviously been like a huge problem on the West Coast and that in mixed with the drought. Um, but there was yeah a particular day when um, we were in the middle of kind of the largest fire of last year, uh, the winter time, and everything had just, usually it's gray, right? Yeah. And everything had just turned orange because the cloud cover was still there. And um, you honestly thought that it was like getting into dusk time, midday. Um, I have, there's a lot of photos out there. And I remember, like I said, I, I worked out of my garage just because um, mm-hmm. that was the space that I had. Um, and it just always seemed dark and yeah. it was very difficult to, you know, and I didn't feel very comfortable being out and about it. I'm in San Jose and I was still a decent way away from the fire and air quality was still poor, but yeah, it was just this bizarre kind of Martian scene um, it, in the day. <laughs> it was, it was wild. I took a photo and put it on Instagram that day. I'll have to shoot you a message after the interview is done so you can see, uh, but yeah, bright orange sky, really weird. It sounds like you and I both made, our, our trek back to the Midwest around the same time. because so it wasn't too long after that, but I derailed that. Uh, sorry for the tangent, but it was too good not to bring up. So um, anyway, orange sky and you're starting to look about, look to go back to the Midwest. Yeah. Starting to look. And, um, you know, like I said, my folks are from the Midwest and I kind of ping them saying, you know, you guys still have some touch points here. What's the scene like um, if I'm looking for this and, my father mentioned Drive Capital, Rev One as being some of the bigger VCs in the area. Um, so I actually looked up Drive Capital, went to their website, and they have kind of like an aptitude test for, you know, you want to join a startup. And I, I just took that test, figured why not? It's, you know, 30 minutes of my time. Um, and about 15 minutes later, I got a message from Robert Hedda, who um, runs talent at Drive Capital. And he's like, let's talk. Um, you know, what, what are you looking for? And I got on a call with him for about an hour, got to just talk through my experience and what I really wanted next, why I was coming to the Midwest, um, and that I'd love to hear about their portfolio, uh, get a feel for, you know, what the space looks like for physical companies are working in the physical space, right? So I, I wasn't really looking for software, um, which is obviously big everywhere. Um, I was looking for a company that was getting into manufacturing. Um, and working on a hands-on product. And uh, that's when he introduced me to Andy at Path. Cool. Excellent. So jumping on pretty quickly to get to Path Robotics. And, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, you you mentioned that, uh, you know, as as you were talking to Andy and Alex over there, that, you know, the everything they were describing about what they needed from like an operations leader was just, they're like, we need everything. We need it all. And like, it was kind of a loose job description. So, you know, we have a lot of operations folks out here. We have a lot of, you know, any leader in manufacturing that listens to this is trying to figure out how do I structure my time? How do you prioritize? So I have to ask you, how did you prioritize when you're jumping into, you know, let's say a a younger, more startup-y type company when the job description is not perfectly laid out? How'd you prioritize? Yeah, I mean, I think the point at which I joined, um, what was really great about it is that they were bringing on uh, our first customer and 
And that's really where I put my focus is like, I've been on the customer side of things. Um, I know what I want out of my integrators, out of my partners, um, and what my expectations are, how I want my service and support team to work. And so that's kind of where I dove in first. It's like, how do we make sure that we're interacting with them well um, to their expectations or at least exceeding their expectations? And then building out kind of the other end of it, which is the support and service function. So again, this is the two like people touch points. Um, And so, yeah, I started with kind of project management and service and support and then started working my way to the middle, which was more kind of your supply chain and manufacturing and assembly side of things. Um, But yeah, it was really about we knew we were bringing these guys on. um, So you need to present um, a, a strong front because they're entrusting in you, you know, this is, they know that they're baiting kind of your product um, and you want that great feedback and you want to you know, sustain a really good relationship with them as well. Is it, correct me, I just want to make sure I heard you right. Is it fair to say that you were kind of taking it one step at a time, you know, getting customer expectations and support figured out, then conquering supply chain after that was, is that your approach yeah, absolutely. It's definitely starting with the customer side of things, making sure we get the, that understanding. Um, and then you can kind of move into the processes and procedures um, after the fact. A lot more of the internal mm-hmm. stuff can happen kind of afterwards. Yep. And, and I have to ask as well, let, let's take it back to the distillery really quickly. Let's say we're sipping on that whiskey um, because we haven't really fully introduced path robotics yet. I mentioned at the start automated welding robots, but how would you describe path robotics to someone if uh, if you're grabbing a drink with them? Yeah, so it is um, autonomous welding. Uh, that's definitely our first product that we're focusing on, um, but we're essentially a, let's see how to truly describe us. So we provide uh, robots as a service, right? So you hear about software as a service, you might hear about hardware as a service, and we kind of meld those two together to provide robots as a service. We have kind of two major product lines depending on um, where the customer, the size of parts and the type of welding that they do, where they fit in. Uh, And then we kind of build these semi-standard products, uh, deploy them to their floor, and then help sustain and maintain their products. So it's not a capital expense, which I think is a surprise for a lot of people. Um, It was a surprise for me. You, you know, usually we're provided a budget and you're just like, here's a million dollars, go buy equipment. Um, but I think, you know, for our, what we need as Path Robotics is we want to maintain kind of that continuous relationship because we see the industry and technology changing so much that you can't really just drop a piece of equipment and say, good luck. I hope this lives for the next 30 years, right? So um, I think that's really the key piece for us is it's as a service in a support model. It's funny that you bring that up, Sheena, because I feel like while it might still be new and on the cutting edge, the as a service model keeps coming up on the show quite a bit. And it's and it's starting to come up more from like a machinery and a hardware standpoint, not just the software standpoint. So um, and I think that the proof is in the pudding that this is on the rise because you guys just got your Series B, $56 million in additional investment, which is no small chunk of change for a young company like Path. And, you know, you're talking about how you prioritize at the beginning. How does, you know, essentially, uh, an in, I guess, the beginnings of an increase in scaling change your priorities? And how do you prioritize from there? 
Yeah, I mean, I think this really just gives us, um, obviously it gives us runway, but it gives us that ability to say, okay, well, this is what I had planned to do right here. I, I got my steps maybe one through three done with the team that I have, with the resources that I have, but now I can really say, great, now I can jump through like four through 10 much faster, right? Getting those individuals on board, being able to, um, you know, we're, we're looking at hopefully getting a larger facility for manufacturing. So being able to take in those other things that I care about, which is inventory management, building ahead to reduce lead times, um, being able to stock a lot more um, things to be able to support our customers. I think that's what it really buys me as an operations leader um, is that it's a different kind of cushion um, that really just allows us to, to, it enables us to support our customers a lot better, um, a lot faster, which is important to everybody. It sounds like you get to keep checking off priorities every time. Like once, once one thing's done, there's one or two other things that pops up after that. Yeah, absolutely. What, uh, what advice would you give to young operations leaders, specifically people coming up on, on the operations side? Because you've gotten to see things from engineering and operations now. Do you have any like, if you could offer advice to someone young coming out of school or someone that's making a career pivot, what, what would you say to them based on what you've learned? Yeah, I would say um, the biggest thing that has really allowed me to um, get to the companies that I want to be at is never saying no to an opportunity. Um, I think that was a big thing of going to Ford was the FCG program allowed me to just have options and hopping between different launches and um, different teams, even at Tesla, like you just can't, I guess you can't really ever say no at Tesla, but it's more of... um, you will always find just kind of a new experience. If you don't open yourself up to going and asking like, hey, how'd you do that? Or, hey, what are you doing? Um, You'll never be able to kind of see the next door open up. And I think that's been the biggest thing is just being open, um, getting yourself out there and and asking the questions, not waiting for things to to kind of come to you. Um, And I think that's been a big thing for me in operations as I started very specifically in manufacturing um, as a manufacturing engineer and then operations is so much more than that, right? It is, it is supply chain. It's actually building out a facility, service and support, right? customer success. These are large pieces of the puzzle that I've been able to dip my toe into in different companies and be able to sit with those leaders um, at other companies and understand how they do it. But um, if I didn't ask those questions, I don't necessarily know that I'd be here today, like being able to oversee and build out those processes. So yeah, never saying no and asking a lot of questions, I think is, is huge. Love it. No, great advice you've had throughout the interview. We're, we're getting towards the end here, but I still have a, a couple more questions. I, I think one thing I'd love to get your perspectives on is what are you most excited about right now? And you can take this from a micro standpoint. What's most exciting at Path Robotics or what are you excited about from state of the industry, state of Midwest startups and, and business in general. I'll, you, you can choose your own adventure on that one. <laughs> well, I mean, I think if I, yeah, if I start at the micro, obviously the Series B has unlocked a lot of things for us and um, bringing in, onboarding new people, introducing them to like what this world is. Um, I, I get to now meet a lot of people who are not from automotive. I think I might be one of the few, I have a couple on my team who come from automotive, but 
um, you just get to meet a vast array of individuals who are coming from their PhDs, who are, you know, on the CVAI side of things. Um, and so that's what I'm really excited about is like, we get now to have kind of this influx of more talent of different mindsets. Um, and I think that just speaks volumes again to what the Midwest is able to pull back from the coasts. Um, because when people start seeing kind of that flow and these companies that are able to come up, they're able to raise money, they're able to do their, you know, deployments and the word gets out, um, that's just going to happen more and more. And I think that's going to mean great things for, for the middle of the country again, um, which I'm really excited about. It's pretty cool. I, I'm and and I feel like Columbus is one of the major hubs right now. I don't know if that's just my perception. I mean, can you share some insights on that as well? Is it a hub, or is it is it just branding itself right, or is it the presence of like uh, you know comp- groups like Drive Capital there? Yeah, I think it's a little bit of everything, right? So um, you know, Governor Kasich when he was here uh, in office, I think did a lot of great things for just bringing in businesses and incentivizing um, companies to come and start here. And I think Drive and Rev1 and other VCs took advantage of that, knowing like, okay, if he's going to try to start pulling companies, let's layer in and make sure that they have the funding to actually be there. Um, And then on top of all of that, I mean, if we're going back to the distilleries, right, there's, I think, a lot of passionate people who are maybe not in tech, but are passionate about being back in the Midwest um, that are bringing kind of those amenities and that mindset and that culture back to these cities. So, like I said, I mean, I would easily be able to find cool craft breweries on the coast, right? Driving up and down highway one. Um, but it was a really nice surprise to be like, nope, I can come back here. I can go to a distillery, do some tastings, get some really great food. Um, and you still get that cool vibe, right? Like you don't have to be out on the coast. So yeah, I think it's a little bit of everything and it's, it feels like just the start, which is really cool. Also, it's like maybe what Silicon Valley, like cut some of those areas started feeling like, you know, 20, 30 years ago, um, where things were starting to kind of flow in. Um, I think that's where we're at, particularly in Columbus and in a lot of other spots in the Midwest are starting to bubble up like that too. I definitely hear what you're saying there. I feel like I'm in a little hipster enclave here in my, you know, neighborhood here in, in South Milwaukee and, and has a lot of San Francisco vibes the same way it would like when I was walking around Haight-Ashbury, you know, one year ago today. Um, yeah. And in fact, I need to, like you said about uh, breweries and things popping up in the Midwest, I've been meaning to make a trip to Columbus because I think you have the first craft beer hotel in yeah. the U.S. located there run by BrewDog. So um, soon enough, I will need to make my way out there. I did have, I had one other question pop up since we've talked so much about cars today and you mentioned Rivian, you've worked at Ford, Nissan, and Tesla. What is your dream car? Just out of curiosity. It's a Nissan GTR. <laughs> Nissan GTR. Hey. I, yeah, that's, that's an easy one. Um, yeah, GTR. I... At Nissan, it was, you know, we could see all the kind of new cars that were coming up. And as interns, right, we were trying to find random things to do. And I'd always heard about this one GTR that would sometimes be um, on our campus somewhere. And we got to take like a drive in it. And I went and kind of found it um, out on the lots. And yeah, it's just a great older car. I'm waiting to see what they do with a refresh, but I still love even the old look of it. 
Um, yeah. I, I think uh, my my first car in high school was a like a 1990 Nissan Sentra. Um, actually, so I've, we've done Nissans. I'm, I'm a Ford guy now. I think I just got a new escape, you know, something that's kind of city driving, but outdoorsy at the same time. So no, this is, uh, that's good stuff. Yeah. You've certainly seen a lot from, from the automotive space. And, you know, as we wrap things up, what is the best way to connect with path robotics and follow all the cool things that you're up to now? Oh yeah. So you can, um, path robotics, you can find us on LinkedIn. There's a lot of, uh, great media that's obviously coming out with the series B, but we post a lot of great videos there. And then we do have an Instagram page as well. Um, just launched our new website. There's all new branding that's kind of come out. So, um, yeah, a lot of cool videos coming from the development that we're doing in house. And, um, you can definitely reach out to us and ask any questions, right? We're, we're located right in the Grange Center. There's a park in the middle of Columbus in downtown. Um, so we get like a really cool space and we love to kind of see people and hear what they want to know about our, our industry and our company. So Awesome. Well, I will link up for all of you listening. Uh, I'll link up to all those in the show notes. And in the meantime, Sheena, thanks so much for jumping on the show today. Yeah. Thank you too, Chris. Cheers. All right. Thanks for listening. If you want to connect with Path Robotics, if you want to learn more about Drive Capital, or if you just want to figure out where to get whiskey when you are in Columbus, Ohio, and uh, check out that watershed distillery Sheena was telling us about, you can access all of these resources at the show notes page at manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 51. A big thanks to Sheena for jumping on today's show, as well as a big thanks to our sponsor, Gen Alpha. Gen Alpha is the best solution for e-commerce for equipment manufacturers. You can learn more about them by jumping back to episode 34, where we had a conversation with their president and COO, Christina Harrington. Just go to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash Gen Alpha to get there. And if you want to be part of our growing community of listeners and manufacturing leaders, head on over and join us in the Manufacturing Happy Hour industry community on LinkedIn. You can get there by going to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash community. We are having regular conversations there. We're having them on Zoom. We're having them on Clubhouse and hopefully doing them live again soon. So if you are looking to take your career to the next level, definitely join us there manufacturinghappyhour.com slash community. And with that, that's it for this week. We got another robotics-centric episode coming up. In fact, this next one's even more robotics-centric. So you'll definitely want to check that one out. But in the meantime, stay innovative, stay thirsty. We'll catch you next week. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Manufacturing Happy Hour. Powered by the Industrial Network.